Hello, kittens. Today's episode is brought to you by Squarespace. With the help of Squarespace, tackling your next move might not be as difficult as it seems. Whether you're hoping to start a business, change careers, or launch a new creative project, Squarespace gives you the ability to create an online platform from which to make your next big idea known to the world. And with Squarespace's award-winning templates, creating your website is a simple, intuitive process. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com. Enter the offer code PROOF. P-R-O-O-P-S to get 10% off your first business. understand now why you never leave um it's it's not that i would love it so much here it's just that i'd be like really it's three hours to get anywhere wow uh and yet you can be in newport uh beach or uh redondo beach and be back in the 80s anytime you like and uh that's what makes orange county so awesome um i was asked by uh, one of our uh, guests here tonight not to go hard on orange county because orange county has changed so much when i first came here uh back in the 40s it was an orange grove and you could laugh harder at that. <laughs> I'm not that old. Uh, when I first scouted out Anaheim with Walt, we thought, you know, this would be a really nice place to put uh, an amusement park where we could drain the money from children and make them into greedy little corporate consumers. And we agreed on that. And, uh, and then maybe have an Alice in Wonderland thing so that women could really have something uh, to talk about in therapy later uh, in their lives. And uh, so we did. Uh, no, when I first came down here, you, you, at a certain point, you, pa- you left Los Angeles, right? You passed Inglewood. And then all of a sudden, a line of white men appeared on the side of the freeway. Uh, and and they, they forcibly scowled at you. And uh, then when you got down here, it was like Pleasantville or whatever. Everything was in black and white for a while. Uh, no, if anything, Orange County's always been in deep color, especially when the first uh, KKK started down here. That was such a... a a great time in Orange County's history. I jumped right in on that, and uh, you're going to have to learn to take a couple fucking hits here tonight. The idea that I'm doing a Black History Month podcast in Orange County says everything about how full of hope and promise we are and, uh, and how far we've all come. Uh, yeah, Orange County has a checkered history. And I, I, when I was little, of course, I, I knew or cared about none of that. I just wanted to go to Disneyland. And my parents took me a bunch of times. And at one time, we went for like three days uh, with a bunch of relatives. And we all got a hotel near. It's, it's quite gone. Uh, I, the Royal Inn or something like that? Ah, see, someone, I wasn't wrong. It was called the Royal Inn. It had a pool. My dad was at the bar all day. And, uh, and the racetrack. And uh, uh, I remember he was in a very good mood because he didn't have to see us for three days. We would line up in the morning and he would give us like 40 bucks and we would like blow into Disneyland. And um, I was with my nephew Eric and my friend John and we, uh, we got my nephew Eric one of those Tyrolean hats that they sew your name on, right? So a hat with a big plume on it that everyone sees you walking around the park all day and he was probably, I don't know, eight or nine, seven. And um, so we go, Eric, get your name sewn on your hat. It's really cool. So he gets his name sewn on his hat and of course it's Disneyland. So every single ride we went on, the, the, well, I don't know what they call the people who work at Disneyland. I'm sure they're not called, uh, uh, 
what are they called? Cast members, that's right, uh, because it is a, a complete theatrical experience, which is what appealed to me so much about it when I was little. The utter unreality of having giant mice walk down the street and everybody's like, oh, I want my picture, and uh, not, oh my God, everyone's taking leave of their senses, and this is a, uh, this is a sanitized carnival where no one has tattoos and you can't buy meth, and, um, and you can't get a beer. I spent a lot of time in carnivals when I was little. Or we called them then county fairs. And, uh, uh, and those were a much different uh, affair than Disneyland. Uh, you go into the county fair, I, so many times I remember playing like the um, spot the spot or, or, or water balloons or whatever, and the dude running the counter would have love and hate tattooed on his knuckles. <laughs> And smoking a cigarette, and they played really loud music, uh, like this is the you know early '70s, so it'd always be like uh, Jeremiah was a bullfrog, right, or whatever, you know. And, and uh, then they'd get on the Arctic. Uh, what was that one called? The Arctic Whirl. And uh, I don't know why uh, the motif was a snow-capped thing, and all it did was go in a circle as fast as humanly possible, but it w had a hill in it. And then the guy would uh, come on the mic, and he was always a creep with uh, uh, aviator shades and like uh, uh, his belt. Uh, you know, his wallet uh, chained to his belt and, uh, the t and the leather vest and no shirt and like a half a cigarette. And he go, do you want to go faster? <laughs> and my sister would go, yeah. And I go, no. Right. And then the awesome part in the Arctic freeze was that he would go fast for a really long time and then he'd stop the fuck. He'd stop. Now, why am I abashed at swearing here? I don't know what happened just then. He'd stop the son of a bitch and, uh, and go, do you want to go backwards? And that was awesome, because you went backwards like a 1,000 miles an hour. And then uh, you would eat um, uh, ca candied apples, which I don't remember them. If they do have them at Disneyland, I'm sure they're in a place called Apple Dimplums. And, uh, and, and, every, and a fresh-faced uh, college student just sells them to you. At the Carney, you bought them from um, a ropey uh, uh, counter, uh, uh, like what, we, what never was called a food truck in the old days. Every carnival just had trucks that they were like boiling oil in and making horrible things. And um, this is before cute, sweet, wonderful county fairs where now you get like, you know, the, uh, the, this deep fried Snickers or what is it? The, there's a sandwich that everybody, like two donuts and a hamburger and all that jazz. The things that people did at county fairs. When I went to county fairs, it was candied apples that were sitting on a piece of wax paper that um, a horrible, messed up crone would sell you. <laughs> And it was like buying an apple in a Disney movie because it was candied apple, dearie, right? And like, so like, I'll have one. And then uh, when she pulled it off the sheet, it went Wah! like that. And at the bottom, all the uh, candy had co coagulated and formed uh, an intense, jagged, sharp stalactite experience so that it could cut into you and destroy you. And the first thing you do is bite into it and it would go right into your soft palate. And that would be a hole that you had in your mouth the rest of the day for every Coke that you drank because no one drank water then. There's a few people here who are old enough to know what I'm talking about. No one stopped and went, hey, let's get a bottle of water. The other person would have gone, we're not in Italy. In the 60s and 70s in America, people drank soda pop. Uh, and then sometimes out of a tin uh, that you pulled a ring on, that the ring had nowhere to go. So people often threw them on the ground. So if you were wearing flip-flops or you were barefoot, you could die. And uh, <laughs> if you put it, the other one was to put it in your drink, the, the little ring on your, on your tin, uh, your can, and hope that it didn't come out while you were drinking it. It was big enough if it stayed sideways that it wouldn't. But occasionally you'd drink it and go, oh, sure. And then it would be in your mouth. And you had a big red mouth like a baboon. But, um, but Disneyland was never that way. It was always sweet and cute and nice and wonderful. So we get on every ride, and we get on Pirates of the Caribbean, and the guy's like, hey, matey, how are you, Eric? And my nephew, every time, how does he know my name? <laughs> and there we go, it's on your hat. And then we went on, the, I remember the story, but I don't know if the storybook canals are still there. The, when I was little, that was a good one, because 
good-looking college girls were dressed like Alice in Wonderland, and they sat on the boat like this. And you went through this little storybook land, and it had one of the um, stories was that they'd sewn the, the gardens together, and I can't remember the stories. I just remember being around a teenage girl was enough, basically, <laughs> on the ride. And uh, she, you know, she goes, oh, hi, Eric, how are you today? And he's like, how does she know my name? It never stopped. Uh, I really couldn't believe that it went on for two days till we took the hat off of him. I was like, Eric, how's your short-term memory? We're not even high, we're children. <laughs> Later, I went uh, as a teenager and uh, we took acid for three days and uh, that was pretty wild. And then they still had the buckets, the flying buckets that connected uh, 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 Never Neverland with uh, uh, the, the white people future land. And, uh, we, uh, we got on, and uh, we were pretty high at that point. We, I think we, we went on the Monsanto ride, if anyone remembers the Monsanto ride. The Monsanto ride was, I can't remember what it was fully called, I think it was a ride into the inner space or something like that. And you would get in a regular, like, Disneyland cart, right, and, and the voice would come on and he would go, I am a scientist, and I'm performing an intense experiment where I'm going to attempt to become smaller than any human has ever, and you're like, why? What possible motive? For some reason, in the 60s, we explored the sea a lot. It was a very Jacques Cousteau time. We were into space a lot. It was a very 2001 time. And also, we were going to go into the inner space. There was the fantastically bad movie, Fantastic Voyage, which Jennifer and I watched the whole of not a month ago. Uh, we were on a plane, and we are like, fuck it, let's watch this. And Raquel Welch was in it, and I remember her being in it more. Uh, it really is hilariously good. The, uh, a guy gets in a car accident, uh, a, a high-ranking scientist, and a diplomat, and in order to save him, they shrink a submarine full of scientists and doctors to the size of a molecule and put him in his eye. And yeah, this is the premise. And Raquel Welch is the scientist's assistant. Oh, it was the 60s. They weren't allowed to be scientists yet. Who are they? You know, the ones who, the ones who persist. And um, <laughs> so she uh, is assisting the scientists. And they're driving through the body like it's a Disneyland ride. That's the whole movie. And then, like, white corpuscles attack the ship at one point. And the ship is hilariously antiquated and not high-tech, you know. And they've got a laser, and they have to fight corpuscles for a while. And then when they get near the lungs, it's like, <sighs> You know, and they're like, oh my God, we're near the lungs. And it's like, would you really? You know, so then better than that, when they get near the ear, everything's too loud. They're like, oh my God. And so they send a message out to HQ on their microscopic radio. And in the operating room, because the guy's on the bed, right, on the uh, gurney, uh, and the, the, the Fantastic Voyage crew is going to perform the brain operation on him. Uh, they go, everybody be quiet. This is the safety measure. So everybody in an operating room is quiet, and a surgeon drops a scalpel. And the guy's laying there, and it's like, why not put plugs in his ears? Because you're communicating with a radio. You're not yelling at them. <laughs> so the scalpel drops, and the ship goes, whoa, like that. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And everybody looks at the doctor, and he's like, Nye. you know, and it, you're like, wow, this movie's awesome. So that's what the Monsanto movie was like. You shrunk down, and by making you shrink down in the Disney Imagineers effects of the 60s, they just made everything bigger every couple of yards. So first it was like, oh my god, and then he was looking down, um, someone was looking at you through a microscope, you had reached microscopic level, and it was a giant eyeball, and it would go like that and wink at you, and then you got smaller and smaller, and then you saw the electric, you know, uh, it was a snowflake you went into, in fact, uh, how appropriate for now. And, um, <laughs> 
uh, and the snowflakes were enormous, and then when you went in, the snowflakes started to melt, and the guy, the guy narrated the whole thing. I think it was Paul Freese, the actor, and he's like, well, we've gone so far, I, beyond the reckonings of imagination, but yeah, dare I go any further? And as teenagers, we would go, up oh, my butt, and yeah, because that's the humor we brought to Disneyland, and on that ride, I opened up a tin that I had that had a bunch of blotter paper on it. And um, blotter paper was one of the preferred delivery systems for acid in those days. The other was purple micro dot. Uh, they came in different shapes. And acid was a very random affair because a biker had made it in their house. And they took a sheet of paper and with an eye drop went like this. And, that, and the dosages were in squares. And so you'd cut them off and then cut them into little squares, right? Well, as you can imagine, it's not very exact when a high biker is going like this. So sometimes they're really strong. And sometimes they're like, oh, fuck, this is disappointing. And then you'd eat two more and go, oh, no. <laughs> now I'm Aldous Huxley and I have to write a novel about this because I just kicked down the doors of perception, and I have no ego, and I'm swirling in an infinite vat of my own uh, being, and nothing means anything anymore, and all I want to do is color and listen to records. <laughs> Some people couldn't stand being in public on acid. They'd lose their shit, because the non-reality of everything is completely apparent to you on acid. The one thing acid does is reduce your ego to the point where the world doesn't look the same anymore. Nothing that's holding it together, the way you see it holding it together now, is in effect when you're on acid. And no, you didn't see dinosaurs walking down the street unless you were really lucky, and it was good acid. Um, the, you hallucinated, but everything had kind of a sheen on it. But more than that, you, there was a vibrating quality to the whole thing. And in the back of your throat, there was this insane thing. And as you came onto it, you got more and more hysterical, to the point where when everyone came on, generally there was un like just hysterical laughter for hours at a time. You'd be five people in a room and someone would go, paper, and everybody liked that, right? So you could see how everything had been broken down. Uh, whereas if you were normally just hanging out with someone and they went paper, you'd be like, calm down. <laughs> On acid, everyone could laugh about that for a good long time. We used to drive to the airport in San Francisco and uh, park next to the runway, you know, the one in Bullet where the planes come down the thing and the chain link fence. And uh, you could park right next to it in those days. You probably still can for all I know. And, uh, and watch the planes go by one after the next while we were losing our minds on acid. And the whole crowd's like, you're making fun of Orange County? <laughs> yeah, I am. We didn't go to a P.F. Chang's in a corporate park. And we didn't roll with dudes named Chad and Newport, who were dicks. So I was on a plane to Mexico years ago. And uh, uh, I'm coming back to Disneyland. I haven't forgotten. I'm on a plane to Mexico. I was doing a corporate gig some 20-something years ago. And a dude from Newport got on the plane and sat next to me, right? I'm, how do I know he was from Newport? He told me he was. He goes, I'm from Newport Beach, man. And he had, um, he looked like Sammy Hagar. He had, you know, ratty white hair. I have to explain who Sammy Hagar is now, I realize that. Sammy Hagar uh, uh, was uh, uh, this, uh, um, he was sort of a rock adjacent asshole. And he was in a band called Hagar. And uh, he was in a band called Montrose. And then he was the lead singer of Van Halen for a while uh, during one of their shittest periods. And, uh, and uh, you're reaching really on that one. But he had, he had, he had the, the damaged white hair like you were in the pool, pool too much. He had like chlorine hair. And, uh, uh, and, and like he she beads or like a little shell necklace. This is Sammy Hagar I'm talking about. And uh, I remember him, uh, I saw him a couple times. And he was a very big star in the Bay Area. Um, uh, and I remember Ronnie Montrose came on stage and was playing a solo or whatever, and Sammy Hagar said on stage, this is when we were teenagers, this is the 70s, I'm gonna put my guitar down, this son of a bitch is too good! And I was like, this isn't Vegas, douche. That is so weak. It was weak in any era, but it was super weak in the 70s. 
Anyway, he had a long career, and he owns a bunch of restaurants called Wabo, Hubbo, Fuggo. There, it's where you go if you don't have roofies, but you want to be sexually violated on a night. If it's a kind of a, you have no free will of your own at the, at the Sammy Hagar bar, is my understanding. Eventually, someone's going to accost you. And um, the guy who sat down next to me looked just like Sammy Hagar. You know, board shorts, flip-flops, peroxide hair. Shells, and we fell in chatting because we happened to be sitting on the plane together. And he went, uh, "I think they should just solve crime, you know, like the way they do in Saudi Arabia." And I went, "How so?" And he went, "Well, they just, you know, cut people's heads off and shit, man." And I was like, "This is your philosophy of life?" And he's like, "Yeah, that would solve a lot of crime if we cut people's heads off." And I was like, "You're a philosopher as well as a surfer." <laughs> I wonder if I can convince the pilot to crash us before we land so that you won't live any longer and have children and imbue Newport Beach with your philosophy of, of that if people had their heads cut off, there would be no crime. Uh, and that man was Jeff Beauregard Sessions. What I want to say is this. No, he's not from Southern California. He's from Southern Southernland. He's from the Confederacy. Uh, so we went to Disneyland on acid, and we got on the sky buckets, and we're pretty high at this point. Uh, when we were in the Monsanto ride, um, I, I took out the tin, and a couple of the blotter papers flittered to the floor, and it's quite dark in the ride, and I found it, thank God. I, I reached down and took it. We all took acid on the ride. So I, you know, it takes a while to come on, like 30, 40 minutes. We come on the ride. Now uh, uh, we went on Star Tours, which was just open then, and had nothing in it. Uh, there was no Star Wars anything to do with Disney in those days. It was just a standalone roller coaster. We get in the sky buckets, and I light a cigarette. In those days, I smoked, and in those days, I uh, uh, was high. And uh, my friend goes, you can't do that on the ride. And I'm like, right. So I put it out, and I put it. We were in the sky bucket, so I felt a complete freedom to do whatever I wished. And uh, I put it in my pack. Uh, we get off on the other side, and uh, we'd heard the rumors, but we didn't know it's true. In those days, they were very, very concerned with young people smoking marijuana in the park. That was not going to happen. This is the 70s. And, of course, people tried to smoke dope in the Pirates, wherever, you know, behind something in the tiki room, whatnot. And the best place that everybody lit up was in the sky buckets, because it was the one place there was nobody near you, really. And you'd see people's heads go down. <laughs> they'd come up over the lip of the bucket and go... <gasps> and then I would go... When you wish upon a star, makes no difference who you are. And it was fun. So I wasn't doing that. I actually had lit a cigarette. We were so high on acid, we weren't really in need of a joint at that point. I put it out. And we get to the end of the ride. What my point is, is they were watching people with binoculars on the sky bucket because they knew every teenager who got on was a potential marijuana abuser <laughs> and was going to bring down the foundations of Orange County. Not only Anaheim, but Buena Park. <laughs> Which means good park. <laughs> By the way, I'm not going to talk about Knott's Berry Farm tonight, but I had gone there in the old days before it was Snoopy Land, uh, when it was really like an old west thing. And two children killed themselves out of boredom. <laughs> I think it was near the jam display. Everything at Knott's Berry Farm was fucking berry jam. Like they were just trying to get you to buy a jar of berry jam the whole time. And I was like, this is like a country store with a shit ride in it. And then there was a fake shootout and whatnot. It's like, fuck, this is LA. Have a shootout. <laughs> fake fucking shootout. So 
we get uh, we get off the sky buckets and there's an 250-year-old security guard waiting there. I don't know if you remember the character of the postman on Bewitched, but he was a chinless old actor who looked like a kind of Mitch McConnelly, like a turtle, you know, like a, a he looked like a seagoing creature. And he talked like this, and he was hilarious, right? That's what the guard looked like. And the guard goes, come here. And I'm like, oh shit, right? He thinks we're smoking dope. It even occurred to me in my high state. And uh, he grabs my hand, and I'm tweaking on acid. He grabs my hand and sniffs it. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> this took place as, as long as I took you, told you to describe it as how long it took place. In my mind, much longer. And a much more vivid evocation of a grown older man grabbing my hand and without any warning aforehand, without any kind of caution, without saying, son, I'm going to sniff your fingers. <laughs> He just fucking dentist hastarded me and grabbed my hand and went like that. And I was like, what are you doing? And of course, he didn't smell dope because there was no dope. And they've brought an expert over. And this is the part that gave me so much joy. This is Disneyland 79, maybe. Uh, they brought over a teenage security guard. Because the old guy really didn't know what fucking dope smelled like. And he turns to the other security guard, and the only way I can describe this other security guard's look, they were wearing light blue outfits in those days with a, pale, with a tie, and they had little 50s hats. They still wore like the 50s, uh, you know, when the Highway Patrol in California wore those like stormtrooper naughty 50s hats, that's what they wore. And uh, he goes uh, to the kid who looked like Woody Allen with pellagra. He, he, if Woody Allen had had a wasting disease, or the kid who played Woody Allen in Annie Hall had grown up to be a teenage security guard at Disneyland, this is what he would have looked like. He, you, you know. And the old man turns to him and goes, do you smell it? And we all looked over at the kid, right? Me and my buddies, because we were like, you know, right? Court of last appeal. If he smelled it, Good night, nurse, right? We're going to be out on the fucking, we're going to be in the Tinkerbell section of the parking lot trying to look for our car that we parked in Baloo. <laughs> and if you've never been to Disneyland or you're listening elsewhere in the world, the car park in Anaheim has different sections and they're all named after famous Disney characters. So you can park in Giffy and then like fuck off from Captain Hook. There used to be a tram, I don't know if it's still there, that drove you around the parking lot. And they would go, the next stop is Peter Pan. <laughs> and you're like, I'm from San Francisco. Saying that in a parking lot's not that good an idea. <laughs> so many other things can happen. So he says, do you smell it to the kid? And the kid goes, no. And we were like, thank you, buddy. My friend grabs the cigarettes and goes, they're just cigarettes. We'll throw them away. And the guard goes, that won't be necessary. But we'll be watching you, watching you, watching you. So we're pretty high. And we're like, dude, they saw us on the sky buckets. That means there's cameras everywhere. So the next one we go on, very poorly advised, but it was a series of poor decisions, wasn't it? Was, I don't think it's there anymore. Sleeping Beauty Castle had a diorama that you walked in. And it was very 50s, V-50s. Like, first was Sleeping Beauty. And it was like, Sleeping Beauty was a girl, so therefore was powerless in her own life. 
and uh, then the next chapter, uh, she uh, pricked her thumb on a spinning wheel because women are, are only uh, available if they're sexual or domestic. And then the next panel, she sleeps for like a million years. And I'll, then I'll, the witch is mean, I can't remember. And uh, uh, older women are a threat, and especially if they have any particular knowledge. Then there are magical witches who will only do harm to younger virginal women who are there as your property. And uh, I mean, I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> this is Sleeping Beauty, but in the diorama. So first there was a spinning wheel, then there was a fire, whatnot, and then, then Prince Char then a, a, a latent homosexual man wearing tights arrives on a horse um, who doesn't really like women at all, but his parents have forced him into it because of his high, exalted financial position uh, that he has to carry on the bloodline by marrying a, a supine virgin who's been asleep for 40 years, even though she probably has no memory and is going to be quite surprised to wake up and find that everyone she knows is fucking dead. Like, no one ever counted on that alien part of the story. Like, when Sigourney Weaver goes to sleep and comes back to life, and she's like, it's 52 years later, and she's like, terrific. <laughs> Boy, do I want to go back to Earth. Uh, so then, uh, and because we're in, in one of the, uh, w there was a wishing well, or a cave of echoes or something, and it was Disneyland, so you could yell into it, and it would yell back, right? And uh, uh, so we get to that, and we're really high, and we're like, oh my god, we're in the smallest fucking contained space in the entire park. How did we choose this? Why didn't we take the Autobahn, or whatever it's called, the auto, whatever those were, where you could just let go of the wheel, and the car just went bang, 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 like that the whole time. Uh, or, uh, oh my god, in those days, the burrows, there were still burrows, like there were live animals you rode in Disneyland, and uh, there was a guy who led like a pack train through uh, Tom Sawyer Island and whatnot, and... Um, yeah. Uh, is the ship still there? The, sh the sailing ship? The Columbia sailing ship? No? There was one that was the Mark Twain riverboat, and then there was the Columbia sailing ship. And the Columbia sailing ship had masts and whatever. It was like it was a fine, you know, Cuddy Sark type, uh, you know, pride of the old Constitution, 19th century American, you know, Bonham Richard fucking John Paul Jones, I shall never give up the ship kind of thing. And those two, the guys who did that one were the most hilarious guides in the park, because I remember them going, Hawkeye, Hawkeye, run up to the crow's nest. He had a microphone. What do you see in the crow's nest? And then he'd yell about, Captain, baby crows. <laughs> Hawkeye, Hawkeye, run up to the bow and be quick about it, or you'll taste the lash. Ah, the lash. <laughs> I'm not making up any of this part. They were bored teenagers, man, and they had a million fat people on a boat, and they were just like, fuck it, you know? We're just going to do this. Oh, the lash. <laughs> so we get out of uh, Sleeping Beauty Castle. We went to Star Tours a bunch of times right in a row. You know, get back in the line. Oh, late at night. I was late. Now, when Disneyland went on stay, what is it, 10, 12 in the summer? Uh, it was hot as the Dickens. Oh, we went to the um, uh, 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 there used to be a stage that came out of the ground in Tomorrowland where there was a hamburger stand and a stage came out of the ground and a band would be playing on the stage. This was the 70s, so they were wearing polyester bell bottoms and uh, polyester vests and they had like kind of groovy hair, like sort of in between Bobby Sherman and David Cassidy and, uh, and the puka shells and whatnot. And they came up at, what was it? Free ride? Free ride. So free ride comes up. Thank you. Thank you for remembering that. Jesus Christ. And the, the, burgers, ha the burgers had a space theme, did they not? It was like, what was it? Tomorrowland Terrace. Where the elite meet. And um, 
It was next to the submarine ride, uh, which I think is ne uh, Chasing Nemo or whatever now. I don't know what that one's called. Finding Chasing Amy. Uh, and and the, so the free ride comes up. Uh, who I assume was the same name of a band for a 10,000 different musicians who had to go through being in free ride. And they come up playing or whatever, and in those days it was, you know, I don't know, J Jesus is just all right with me. Jesus is just all right. Jesus is just all right with me. That was a rock song from the 70s. Oh, yes, it was by the Doobie Brothers, and uh, who were named because they smoked a lot of doobies. I'm not kidding. I wish I was lying about that. It's so sad, I can hardly believe it. Um, in any case, we're real high, and we're up front. And they sing a song by Loggins and Messina called House on Pooh Corner, which is, someone just went, oh. I don't remember the tune very well. I, I try, I've tried to blot out Seals and Crofts and Loggins and Messina out of my mind. You, in your later life, I know there's a lot of young people here tonight, will be performing the same activities uh, uh, um, about the star, there'll be like, let me put it this way. You'll be trying to forget One Direction in 20 years' time. It'll come into your head. You'll be like, that fucking jam. Oh, shit. And then you'll be like, stop. Stop it. Stop it. Because Loggins and Messina persist. Uh, there's classic rock, and you hear them. And uh, all of a sudden, you'll be just living your life. No one's getting hurt. And all of a sudden, it'll be like, your mama don't dance, and your daddy don't rock and roll. And you're like, this was the word. This is why punk had to happen. Someone had to beat the shit out of Kenny Loggins for wearing a green satin outfit and a beard like a fucking asshole. They were so coked up and so shitty. And then Seals and Cross were horrible anti-choice dickwad Baha'is. They were Baha'is and they were anti-choice. They did a song called Unborn Child about what rats women were for having abortions. This was a hit on the radio. Oh God, the 70s. Maybe it's not such a surprise what's going on now. <laughs> we had Nixon, we had that. Fuck, it was all leading in one direction. Oh, see what he did? Um, what was Seals and Croft's shitty song? They had a lot of them. Oh, Summer Breeze, that was their giantest song. But they had other ones too. Diamond girl, boom, boom, you sure do shine. See what they did? Barf. So they start to play House on Pooh Corner, and I don't remember any of it excepting, and I want to live on a house on Pooh Corner, and we are fucked up on acid, and we just started laughing, and we couldn't stop laughing, and I mean, we weren't laughing, laughing. I have a terrible laugh on hard drugs, and it goes like this. <laughs> like Robert De Niro in Cape Fear. An unforgettable laugh that you don't want to be around. It's really, it's unsettling and it's not good. And these guys look down at us and we're just staring at them and pointing and fucking laughing. Just laughing them down. And they were like, you could tell if they could have, they went, fuck you. But they're in Disneyland so they, you know, they have to be nice. They have to be nice. I saw Bo Donaldson in the Haywoods in Tomorrowland. And they did a, an awesomely awful song. Uh, called Billy Don't Be a Hero, where the girlfriend doesn't want Billy to join the army, and then uh, he gives her a, a letter, or no, the army sends her a letter. Uh, anyway, Billy gets killed, of course, in the army, and uh, the chorus goes, um, Billy, don't be a hero, don't be a fool with your life. <laughs> Come back and make me your wife. <laughs> and as he started to go, she said, Billy, keep your head low. Oh, oh. 
I want to take heroin now. I've fucking soft-rocked myself into a fucking corner here. And I'm disgusted with myself. I really am. I'm so disappointed with myself right now. Normally, I make them play songs on the iPod, but I don't have any of these songs on the iPod. Why would I? If I have Loggins Messina on the iPod, I'm, I'm not leaving Anaheim. <laughs> Irvine. Or Irving, Anaheim's Jewish cousin. Uh, yeah, let's start the show sooner or later. Um, Thank you for the gifts that people gave me. Uh, they're very, very generous of you. I appreciate it. Um, I'm not making a value judgment or anything, but um, normally I get a lot of books. Anyway, <laughs> Orange County, not book fucking one. Some delightful dank, but no books. What does that say about Orange County, I wonder? I was in Boston, and we'll get to Boston later because of my hatred for Boston. <laughs> and I did the podcast there, and a very nice crowd. I wasn't able to move. I got stuck. Where I, you, know, you remember I was talking to you before the show? I wasn't able to do that. I got stuck because people queued up to give me poetry books. And this is Boston, where people are heinous. And uh, the people who came to my show, obviously not so much. Uh, later in the weekend, I was doing stand-up, and I was talking about men harassing women on the street and some of my hilarious jokes. And, uh, uh, oh, when the wheel was invented, the first thing a guy got, did was get on it and go, finally, some mobility. Now I can take the sexual harassment on the road. And a guy in the back was, this is a Boston heckle, what are you, a woman? <laughs> so they keep asking me to come back, and I'm like, mm. I've played other places there. They're very nice in Boston. About their white supremacist team winning the Super Bowl. Uh, I have a couple of issues. Uh, first of all, the owner, um, what the fuck's his name? Let me just cut to this part right away. Yeah, Robert Scrunch. Where is it? What's his name? Yeah. Robert Kraft, and uh, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. Um, why don't you fuck off? Uh, I wonder, may I extend an invitation to you, the three of you, to like take a long, cool drink of freedom out of my ass? Um, I hate you, I hate your team, I hate your fucking fans, I hate your shit city with all its racist fucking dudes named Doug. Um, when Vancouver lost in 2011, as I've said before, to the, uh, the Bruins in the Stanley Cup, Vancouver rioted and burned their town to the ground. Because you must cleanse your town after Boston beats you. They have the douchiest, most racist fans in the entire fucking universe. The Boston Police Department tweeted uh, after uh, uh, the Super Bowl, when you suspended Tom Brady, you, you insulted an entire region. Um, no, he deflated his balls. One, two, fuck you, and three, he had a Make America Great hat in his locker all fucking season, and every time they asked him about it, he'd go, oh, gee willikers, aw shucks, instead of, I hate Negroes, especially the ones on my team. Um, so, um, I hate them, and uh, they, Trump watched them, he made them win, it was uh, the FBI's fault, and it was Russia's fault too. No way does Atlanta lose that fucking game. No fucking way other than Russia paid them to. 
Hello, kittens. Support for today's show comes from Squarespace. As the year progresses, it's easy for some of those New Year's resolutions to fall by the wayside. But if you've resolved to take on a new challenge like starting a business, changing careers, or launching a creative project, achieving your goals might be easier than you think with Squarespace. Squarespace is used by a wide range of people and businesses, including musicians, designers, artists, and restaurants, and gives you the ability to create an online platform from which you can easily make your next move into a reality. With Squarespace's award-winning templates, creating your website is a simple, intuitive process. You can add and arrange your content and features with a click of a mouse, and there's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. Though, if you do have a question, Squarespace provides award-winning 24-7 customer support and can help you with any problem, no matter how technical or trivial-seeming. So whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, or an online store, tackle your next move with Squarespace. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com and enter the offer code PROOPS to get 10% off your first purchase, plus a free domain. That's PROOPS for 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. And that's P-R-O-O-P-S. Do not forget the R. Love you. Devin McCourty and Martellus Bennett of the Patriots are not going to go to the White House with the Patriots when they go. Um, this is from a site called Very Smart Brothers. We're going to start with some awesome black history. Uh, Damon Young writes for Very Smart Brothers and also GQ and Ebony. And um, he wrote about this, and he wrote this. Uh, and there's some who might believe that um, uh, we're going to go away, but now we don't want to go and experience the social and political fallout of being the only black dude up there cheesing in a selfie with Tom and Bill and Donald. And I know some are seething at home like, fuck you, Devin and Martellus, for being all principled and right and shit. Now I got to make political statements just because y'all righteous N-bombs did. Which is true. There's no way out of this now. If a black member of the Patriots decides not to go, it'll be a statement. And if a black member of the team decides to go and not make a statement, their non-statement will be a statement too. And for the record, it would will be a statement for the white members of the team too. But they won't have a microscope on them. The collective expectations for them are so low that they still have the privilege of maintaining political ignorance and apathy or being wimps and feigning it at least. We don't. Uh, and I think that's an amazing thing to say about it. Why are you so adamant about this. Well, Tom Brady didn't go four, three four years ago when Obama had everybody at the White House. He said he had a previous family engagement. So you draw your own fucking conclusions. Aren't you making a big leap here, Greg? And aren't you inferring that sport... Shouldn't athletes just dance for our amusement, especially when they're not white? Um, no. Um, I've been reading from this book um, that uh, a lovely couple gave me in the whitest place in the world, Vermont, uh, Dave and Jasmine. And it's called Tears We Cannot Stop, A Sermon to White America uh, by Michael Eric Dyson, who's also a minister, it just so happens. And um, I wanted to talk about the Patriots going. Not Obviously, my hatred of all Boston teams is one matter. Um, but uh, the, the, the fact that their owner... Um, uh, coach and quarterback uh, feel this way, and that the quarterback didn't want to go meet Obama, but is pretty fucking excited to go meet Trump, um, bunks my high harder than you can possibly imagine. And what Damon Young said, the expectations among white players are so inconceivably low that white players are allowed to be apathetic and blithely unaware of anything that fucking happens in the world. But aren't sports people like entertainers and should be quiet and never express an opinion? Sports people pay taxes like every other goddamn American, one. And two, Donald Trump is an entertainer. Number 45 is an entertainer. The reason he's president is he's a reality TV show star. And we broke down uh, with the Schwarzenegger law uh, to the reality TV level nationally. 
nationally. That's what bloody fucking happened to uh, elected orange Oompa Loompa uh, oligarch because the reason why we have the Tangerine Tyrant is he is a known quantity to American people. I don't ever want to be told again that entertainers shouldn't express their opinion and that no one should ever express their opinion unless they're a qualified opinion expresser. Because most of the ones you see on television are middle-aged, bloviating white guys. And they really don't know shit about fuck about shit all about fuck about nothing that ever fucking happened. They haven't a raindrop's worth of fucking expertise on anything. When you see empowered people like Jeff Lord on CNN, who really never has been out of his bubble in his life, who are paid shills, uh, 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 Sean Spicer's always, or Melissa McCarthy as he's now known, is always, <laughs> always uh, expressing the opinion that people who protest are paid. Uh, I've been to maybe five protests in the last week and a half, and I am fucking rolling in it right now, you guys. I get paid in Krugerrand and Series E savings bonds, and also those coins from the Franklin Mint that have a doll on them. So it is awesome, and you should really try being a protester because the pay is superb. And we get health care benefits. We don't just get Obamacare. We get Michelle O'Care, uh, which means you get a kicky summer dress at the end of your sickness. Uh, anyway, in the book, Michael Eric Dyson, Tears We Cannot Stop, A Sermon to White America, I read you, uh, from it a couple of a podcasts ago, if you listened to the uh, uh, Vermont one. I wanted to read one sentence from that, what I already read before. Beloved, let me start by telling you an ugly secret. There's no such thing as white people. And yet, so many of them, so many of you, exist. Uh, race has no meaning, and this is the part. Race has no meaning outside of the culture we live in and the worlds we fashion out of its force and energy. Whiteness is an advantage and privilege because you have made it so, not because the universe demands it. So therefore, if you understand that concept, that whiteness is a privilege and that we made it up, uh, uh, and that there is no difference, and uh, uh, the, the world is not all white people. The world is some white people. Um, however, in the United States, white people are off the hook for everything. Dressing well, keeping weight off, um, looking good, having a good haircut, being good at anything. White people just get to skate through life and be fat fucking idiots. And um, thank you for laughing. It's true. It's true. I mean, turn on TV uh, uh, and go to CNN for a while or whatever. Um, what, turn on Fox News and watch for a while, and you'll see people who really don't know anything about anything being well paid to express their opinion about not knowing anything about anything and repeating talking points over and over again. Um, if I'm being harsh, you have to understand that it's Black History Month, and um, white people do never talk this way about themselves because we're all so fucking empowered to think how great we are all the time uh, that we never really give two fucking thoughts. For one, that we've subjugated women in every other race in the world. And two, uh, 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 white people have had their say and it's time for other people to kind of speak up about white people, especially right now, especially with Jeffrey Borgard Sessions um, being empowered to be the Attorney General of the United States and a known avowed evidentiary racist. I'm not saying he's a racist because I just like him or the fact that his name is like a parody of a fucking Gettysburg general. <laughs> Who is named Jeffrey Beauregard Sessions III right now? Well, our new attorney general. And if he doesn't wear a plumed hat and fucking epaulets his first day in office, I'm going to be very disappointed. He should really wear a sword in the first day, don't you think? And go, well, I've been checking out the terrain and I don't think we have the chance of a fiddler's bitch at Fredericksburg. The fact that they allowed that man, who has been an active opponent of voting rights his entire life and an active racist, who we will get to the letter from Coretta Scott King. Um, if Coretta Scott King thought you were racist, you were racist, okay? She's pretty good at identifying it. Uh, Mitch McConnell, uh, uh, um, who's an albino cave fish who has a very high position in the government. <laughs> 
uh, he, uh, he, he uh, enacted a, against Elizabeth Warren last night that she oughtn't read the letter from Coretta Scott King. We'll get to that in a minute. But I posted a picture of him on Twitter today in front of a giant Confederate flag, and I wrote, racist much. And of course, it's Twitter. So two seconds later, a guy wrote, Confederate, Confederate flag's not a racist symbol. <laughs> Uh, I was reading it in what I perceived his voice to be. Confederate flag, not a racist symbol. I don't want to be like historically accurate or anything. And I know that a lot of people believe this is fake news. But if one side of the war was fighting to perpetuate the bondage of another race, then you're on the racist team. I don't like, you know, you can split hairs any which way you want and go, it was all about states' rights. Yeah, states' rights to own black people is what the war was about. There wasn't another reason. It didn't start for any other reason. If you know anything about history, and you don't if you disagree with me, uh, you could look at the 1850s and see that after the Missouri Compromise, it all went to fucking shit, and the war came racing ahead. Uh, could it have been avoided? All wars can be avoided. All wars can be avoided. All wars can be avoided. Didn't we have to fight that one? No. It was fought ostensibly to stop slavery, but what it ended up doing, of course, was institutionalizing slavery, which is why we're in the state we are right this goddamn second, and why number 45 is president, and why we have a, a pumpkin-colored plutocrat running the fucking show, White people deemed it that way. White people wanted it that way. This is the last gasp of white people. It's going to take forward or however many years to uh, uh, just even fight back on it. And then to fix it is going to take a whole nother generation. That's the kind of damage this fucking election, I think, did. However, it's solvable. It's fixable. And we have the extra fun of our lifetimes of having to live through Nazi Germany and being on the right side. So look at us. Um, uh, if, you're a, if you wear a swastika around, uh, you can't argue with me and go, well, it's not a racist symbol, because it is. Uh, a Confederate flag is a racist symbol. It may be part of your heritage. My whole family on one side is from Mississippi, for full disclosure. I've said it before on the show. Uh, they are uh, um, several branches from Mississippi. My mother was born in Casilla. Uh, I spent a lot of time in Mississippi visiting. Uh, that's what we do in the South. We visit. And, uh, <laughs> and drink sweet tea, and uh, grow as large as the double wides that people the fucking hills there. And, uh, uh, and, and then be careful of, of tornadoes and whatnot. Uh, we eat catfish. I remember going to a catfish place, and uh, uh, outside of, uh, not in Casilla, outside of Jackson. And, because um, my mother lived in Brandon, and, um, which had like 13,000 people. And the donut shop that had the best slogan of any donut shop in the world the donut shop in Brandon, and by the way, there was one donut shop, said, you're one-stop donut shop. <laughs> and I was, I was like, has it ever been different? <laughs> was there ever a time that they just, well, we can, I'll give you some dough, but you're going to have to drive over to Pearl to get that fried up. <laughs> and as for frosting, you might want to go down the road a piece. <laughs> Certainly all donut shops are one-stop. Um, but it's Mississippi, and you know, what was my joke? I'm not from Mississippi. I didn't grow up in Mississippi. I didn't go to school. Well, no one goes to school in Mississippi. And, um, 
it, it's a disaster. Uh, and, and frankly, I, I sympathize uh, with the people of, of Louisiana and Mississippi and Alabama and whatnot, all of Dixie. Uh, Georgia's rich, but there, those other states, not so much. And they're going to get hurt more by this decision than anyone else. And, and heaven knows they wanted it uh, and their last gasp of, uh, of fear and anxiety and pain. Uh, like James Baldwin said, um, and we'll get to James Baldwin too. Am I going to talk off mic the whole show, you wonder? So do I. Uh, James Baldwin said, what did he say, Greg? I'm getting to it. Uh, James Baldwin was a philosopher and a writer and an artist and a, an advocate. And he said, I imagine one of, the, one of the reasons people cling to their hate so stubbornly is because they sense once hate is gone, they'll be forced to deal with pain. And I think that's a lot of what this election was about, um, hatred and pain. Uh, people's pain and people's hatred, really, really, with the FBI's help, uh, let's be honest, and Russia and voter suppression. Um, this was a coup, uh, and it was a right-wing nationalist Nazi white supremacist coup, frankly. Uh, and if you're white and you don't think that, all I'm asking you to do is, you don't have to agree with me blindly. Don't agree with anyone blindly, especially me. I'm, I'm, I'm high a lot. <laughs> think about it for yourself. Think about it for yourself. Pretend to not be white for one day. Pretend what it'd be like when you see a person who's not white. Think about what it would be like to them if Donald, if you were them and 45 was president. Let me put it this way. If a Mexican guy whose slogan was, let's build a wall to keep the white people out, was elected president, how would you feel? And he got elected president and you were a white person. And the first thing he said was, Orange County for Mexicans, like it always was. And the whole crowd goes quiet. No one could even laugh uneasily. That's what I'm saying. Uh, uh, white people never think of that because white people never think of anything except going skiing and driving around in SUVs and shit like that and wearing flip-flops outdoors in public when no one wants to see their fucking feet. That's what white people fucking do and make shitty TV shows and shit like that and horrible superhero movies. That's what white people fucking do all day long. That's all they fucking do. And say things like, well, we should have a cookout. This neighborhood looks scary. <laughs> Seriously. Um, and white people say things like, uh, Donald Trump, uh, 45 said it about Kaepernick. He said, maybe he should find another country. <laughs> hey, don't hit me with that intellectual, well-thought-out argument. You're going you're gonna to fucking convince me in a minute here, 45. Go back where you came from. If you don't like it here, leave. Uh, you're, you're, suck it up. You're, you're a snowflake. You're complaining. You're a baby. Um, these are all schoolyard arguments. And believe me, with the name Proops, I've heard every fucking schoolyard <laughs> argument of my life. Uh, so I solved that shit a long time ago. This is what Michael Eric Dyson has to say about Colin Kaepernick. Um, Langston, he's, first he mentions uh, Langston Hughes here. Frederick Doug, uh, Michelle Obama. Oh, I went, now I've gone back too far here. Martin Luther King declared um, that white America had to do blacks right, yet he spoke for most of us when he said, we ain't going nowhere. When some of you are missing 
is that Colin Kaepernick is the best kind of American there is, one willing to criticize his country precisely because he loves it so much. James Baldwin said it best when he wrote, I love America more than any other country in the world, and exactly for this reason, I insist on the right to criticize her perpetually. That's what America is, the freedom to criticize perpetually. But you didn't with Obama in your book of, yeah, I did. I always criticized him. Um, I couldn't for the last year because of what was happening. The election was too eminent, and it required too many hands on deck to make any fucking, it had to be Hillary or the fucking road. And that was how it worked. If you thought different and you thought she was a corporate tool, how do you feel now? If you voted for Jill Stein or Gary Johnson, hang your fucking head in shame. Go in a corner for wear a dunce cap for a while. Put a, put a clothespin on your dick. Because you blew it. You fucking blew it. You fucking blew it. You fucking know that you fucking blew it. Oh, but I was, how come everyone has to agree with you all the time? And I didn't like her. And I, I wanted another woman. And I, my mother scared me when I was little. And my dick is in a, I have to take my... I, I know all your reasons why you didn't vote for her. I got it. I got it. I got it real clear. Uh, believe me. If there's one person who hasn't complained, said a word, whined, or written an errant tweet since all of this has happened, it's her. Have you heard one thing from her? Where she went, the FBI fucked me. There was voter suppression in Wisconsin. The Russians fucked us over. Uh-uh. She said it all during the election. She said, if you elect him, there's white supremacists who back him. The KKK signed off on him. She said it on TV. I'm not making it up and pretend, don't fucking pretend you don't fucking remember. Because she fucking said it on TV. She said, white supremacists back him. The KKK endorsed him. And people still went, <laughs> but I'm white. I've got to drive to Whataburger in my shock. I'm going to watch the CMAs. And the Victoria's Secret special, Glarf. Sports are really important, especially golf. I wouldn't say Serena's the best player of all time. She might be the best player that's not white that doesn't have a dick of all time. But let's not get crazy with the praise. You know, Colin Kaepernick is paid good money to entertain me every week. When his afro springs free, it's an insult to my tiny penis. There are, uh, both Baldwin and Kaepernick have offended you so greatly because they insisted on separating whiteness from American identity. You follow. Black people are American too. Mexican people are American too. Chinese people, Japanese people, Filipino people, gay people are Americans. And they built the country. They built the country. That's what white privilege is, ignoring the fact that we made the Chinese build California. And we made slaves build the White House. And we made slaves build the United States and Wall Street and all that. And then we forget about it later and go, hey, why are you kneeling during my football game? I'm trying to fuck my cousin while this game's on and I can't get a boner now. I just want you to get where I'm coming from. I'm a rich white privileged person in a luxury box, and I'm offended. Really? I'm offended that you're so rich and have a luxury box. Is that wrong of me? Um, no great fortune comes without a great crime, right? You know that expression. I can't remember who said that now. If I could, I would quote them. I did quote them, but I just can't attribute it. <laughs> no great fortune, right? Every great fortune is a crime because no one ever made a lot of money. 
by being really, really scrupulously honest. And the whole crowd, this is Orange County, Greg. All we want to do is go to Dave and Buster's and then get a handy on the ride home. The last night I was playing in Vermont, um, there was a guy there in the crowd, and he was a white guy. Well, let's be honest, there was only one black person in the crowd. It was, it's Vermont. So I'm doing my stand-up act, and I'm having a go at this and that, and uh, uh, this guy goes, hey, all right. And I'm like, all right, all right. And then, hey, Drew Carey, right? Drew Carey. Like, well, yeah, I worked with Drew Carey from 1999 to 2005. Um, I'm very good friends with him. I still speak to him. Um, well, I did a gig with him uh, this last year. Uh, he hasn't been on Who's Line since then. We, I, I know it's the last memory you have, sir, of the two of us together, and it was golden for you. I get that. You can't! So, later in the show, the politics start, and that's when he loses his shit. And I had a little, you know, I was like, look, I don't want you to leave. I want you to understand me. And he yelled out, America's white. And I was like, I can't really get around your misunderstanding of America, uh, that you actually perceive it. And it's like, one, you have to understand where he lives, because the staff was, of course, agog and aghast and appalled, because they're all caring, caring liberals. And uh, uh, he, doesn't, he didn't even live in Burlington, which is a big metropolis in Vermont. It has like 30,000 people or whatever. There are more people in this room than are in Vermont. <laughs> Southern California, between Orange County and L.A., has how many people? Fucking 15, 20, you know, 20 million, if you count everything. Um, we're, we're a country, uh, and that's what really fries my fucking giblets over places like Montana and Idaho and uh, Delaware and Maine having any fucking say in the national dialogue. Why do I pay taxes? The other day, the other day, 45 threatened California. You heard him. He went, well, we're going to cut off all federal funding to California. How about this? We cut it off for you. Um, if California didn't pay federal taxes, we're supporting the economy of all the shitty states, okay? We are. We just are. So understand that. Um, Kepner, uh, 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 let's see here. Whiteness from American identity. The two are neither synonymous nor exhaustive. They neither signify that all America mean, that all that America means, nor can they possibly radiate the full brightness of her pr promise. Uh, Donald Trump is missing the point when he says Kepernick um, should find a country that works better for him. Instead, Kepernick believes so deeply in this country that he's willing to offer correction rather than abandon the nation, and to donate a million dollars in support of racial causes. But innocent whiteness recoils at such instruction. It pushes back against the notion that it could possibly learn anything from a black body kneeling on white sacred territory. But it is the same territory that profanes and then swallows the bodies of unarmed black folks. We must see Kepernick's criticism as love the tough love that America needs, even though his decision not to vote in the presidential election was a grave political Miscalculation. Kaepernick's social protest remains a vital, valid gesture. This is what I wanted to read here. Um, American sports. Despite all the black bodies that make it go, it still is profoundly white enterprise. Surely you must see that it is the only, the court or the playing field that is integrated. Nearly 70% of football players are black. The NBA is 80% black. But the NL front offices in particular team with white men whose outdated viewpoints and narrow understandings of race and at times bigoted perspectives hamper true progress.
You'll hear in uh, clubhouses that, um, oh, here it is. Uh, I, uh, according to, oh, um, the players in football and basketball may be black, in the case of baseball, Latino, but the front offices of major American sports are a white man's game. In 2016, 22% of professional administration positions in the National Football League were held by people of color. In the NFL's league office, 9%. With the management positions were black in the league, where nearly two-thirds of its players are black. That may explain the website, according to Deadspin, um, or it is interesting they'll not own up to their own name, that they don't want Kaepernick near their teams, most owners, because he's a traitor and has no respect for our country. And fuck that guy. Other state, I've never seen a guy so hated by front office guys as Kaepernick. As long as black athletes keep their mouths shut and play the game, they're fine. Once they range beyond deference and obedience, they're out of bounds and huge penalty flags are thrown. Um, that's how I feel about um, the New England Patriots winning this one. I think their owner and uh, their coach and their quarterback de facto support that. And I don't dig it. I don't dig the NFL in general because it's way too rapey. And um, having Breast Cancer Awareness Day for women is the most horrible patronizing sop that's ever been thrown by an organization that condones the beating of women on a regular basis to women that I could possibly think of. Uh, so in any case, getting back to the show's almost over. Here we go. I got 50 pages to get through here. Last night on the floor, uh, today on the floor of the Senate, uh, Jeffrey Bogart Sessions was approved as uh, Attorney General. Um, the, uh, uh, last night on the floor of the Senate, Elizabeth Warren, uh, the distinguished senator from Massachusetts, uh, home of the Patriots, got up and um, uh, tried to read a letter that uh, Coretta Scott King had written in 1986 uh, to Strom Thurmond, who was chairman of the Judiciary Committee. Strom Thurmond, by the way. <laughs> we don't really have time to go into Strom Thurmond, but... <laughs> If the country was going to talk during Black History Month, and white people are so involved in black history, it's crazy. Um, that was a joke. Because they are, you see, we're all Americans. Strom Thurmond uh, was such a virulent racist that he ran against Harry Truman on another ticket, uh, and was it 48? Uh, called the Dixiecrats, um, which was segregation, was their platform. Uh, and Strom Thurmond was uh, chairing the Judiciary Committee in 1986. Uh, and it's not ancient history. There's people in this room who are alive then. Don't look at me that way. <laughs> Here's what she wrote. Even if you read the letter, I'm just going to read it. It's very short. I'm not going to read the 10 pages of addendum that go with it. There's a 10-page document where she supports case by case the reasons why Jeffrey Beauregard Sessions should not be given a federal judgeship. This was 30 years ago. Now he is attorney general. Do you see where I'm going with the whole white supremacy thing? Coretta Scott King, by the way, in case you didn't know, was Martin Luther King's uh, wife. Everyone keeps saying widow, widow, widow all the time. It's so horrible. Uh, she doesn't exist on her own simply because she's his widow. She was also a civil rights advocate as well. Uh, I wish to write to express my sincere opposition to the confirmation of Jefferson B. Sessions as a federal district judge for Southern District of Alabama. My professional and personal roots in Alabama are deep and lasting. Anyone who has used the power of his office as a United States attorney to intimidate and shield the free exercise of the ballot by citizens should not be elevated to our courts. Mr. Sessions has used the awesome powers of his office in a shabby attempt to intimidate and frighten elderly black voters. For this reprehensible conduct, he should not be rewarded with a federal judgeship. I regret that a long-standing commitment prevents me from appearing in person. Uh, however, I have attached a copy of my statement, and the statement's there. And then at the end, she's sincerely Coretta Scott King. During the reading of this letter, the albino cave salamander, uh, Mitch McConnell, uh, 
piped up from the floor. And because Jeffrey Beauregard Sessions was, uh, until today, a senator, and when he traded his senatorship for his uh, 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 attorney generalship, he was uh, there and is a member of the body, right? The body, the Senate. And there's rule called Rule Number 19, and it can be invoked if you impugn another member of the Senate from the floor, right? When you have the mic, when you're on the mic, when you have the floor. So she, according to Mitch McConnell, she had broached that rule by even reading a letter by a civil rights hero and an icon, and the wife of mo the most famous civil rights icon in the history of the United States, who also happened to be black and would have taken a dim view of Jeff Borgard Sessions, she was shut down by a senator from the South. Do you understand? A white senator from the South shut her down, a woman down, for reading the words of a black woman. And you may remember what uh, Senator uh, Cavefish said when uh, he was asked, why did you shut uh, Senator Warren down on the floor? Why didn't you let her just read the statement? He said, she was warned. She was given an explanation. Nevertheless, she persisted. Uh, wow. Yeah. Um, I don't know when you women are going to learn that I fucking warned you. And I mansplained to you. And still you did whatever you wanted. What the fuck? You know what it's time to do? Lock you up. Uh, you've committed a lot of crimes. Uh, first of all, you're nasty. Uh, and I'm going to call you Miss Jackson. Uh, the patronizing misogyny and the insane racism of what happened on the floor last night. Uh, of course, a bunch of men got up and took the flag for Elizabeth Warren and, uh, and read the letter in full on the floor um, to nobody because the Republicans left the room at that point. They bravely, as they did during the uh, Affordable Care Act sit-in by John Lewis, they bravely left the floor. Um, Elizabeth Warren went outside and read the whole letter uh, on Facebook and it got something like four million views. And she, Eight million views? Nice. Uh, still she persisted is now a hashtag. And I think we're going to hear it quite a lot over the next four years. They are so unmedia savvy and they are so determined in their staunch white privilege, toxic masculinity and racism uh, and hysteria that they feel they can get away with something like this even though it was on television and everyone saw it. And when uh, 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 the man with no chin said she, still she persisted, um, that's a rallying cry. You're, you're making what could have been uh, a happy time Nazi coup uh, has backfired insanely on them and turned into the greatest mobilization of people I've seen since, since the Vietnam War. That is the part that gives me hope to carry on every day when I get up. I'm, I'm done with the crying and the drinking. Well, I'm not done with the drinking, but I'm done with the crying and, uh, and the whining. And uh, it, 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 I get up every day and I do a million things now. I'm, I'm as motivated as I was when I was uh, but a child. Uh, I'm going to go through this, some of these things here. Uh, Rebecca Tracer writes for The Cut and is someone you should follow. Trump's nightmare, women opposing him. Um, you can read it on the cut. It must be galling for a man who's been so open about his disregard for women, find that the strongest pushback to his administration so far has come from a bunch of women who appear more than a little unimpressed. On his first day, there was the Women's March, the largest political protest in America's history, led by women of color. For the last few remaining Bernie bros that write me, and some people write me and go, you're hysterical, you're, you've lost touch, you only talk about the same thing over and over again now. 
women of color, if you follow them, and you ought to on social media, and you should read them and stuff like that, um, are leading the way. Women of color voted against uh, the uh, sweet potato Stalin in overwhelming numbers. And they were right. And that's what they know. And you should know that too. And so I'm willing to follow women of color because I feel like they tried to tell us, they tried to save us. Um, and they did everything they could, and the two times Obama was elected to make that happen, and they did everything they could this time uh, to get Hillary elected, and it just didn't happen. It was taken away. And I didn't hear what you said, but I don't take comments, really. Um, <laughs> if it was positive and awesome, then I want to hear it. Okay, good. What was it? Rebecca Traister. Uh, T-R-A... I-S-T-E-R. Um, the march did many remarkable things, establishing a culture of protest and setting a determined exuberant tone for the dozens of spontaneous demonstrations that have occurred since. I've been to the airport at LAX uh, at the, to march with no, no ban, no wall, and um, no Muslim ban. Let's be real specific about what it is. And uh, um, it was exuberant there, too, and everyone was having fun. And by the way, lots of sexy people. Um, the women's march was hot. I mean... Everybody was in a good mood. Everyone was polite. If you bumped into someone, they were like, hey. And uh, at the one at the airport, too. And all I could think of was there's not that many guys here. Where are the men, you know? When I'm in the minority, I know. And uh, Dan Harmon, who I did a show with last week, uh, who you'll know from the show Harmon Town, and my very good friend, Jeff B. Davis, is the comptroller on the show. Um, I did a show with Dan Harmon, and Dan Harmon expressed a bunch of opinions about what's going on. And he said, it's real important for fat white guys to be up against the barricades where the cops have the riot shields. Because when the cops see a bunch of fat white guys up at the front, they're like, oh, shit, this is different. Am I right or am I right? If we start showing up everywhere to support our sisters and our brothers, um, then it's over. We win. And we are the majority. We never were the minority. This is the minority that's ruling right now, uh, that's, that's got the ball. But they're not dominating us, and they're not in charge. Uh, it's, as you can see, it's a grabastic, half-assed fucking bunch of illiterates um, who believe in that, that uh, frogs m m uh, turn into women if they drink fluoride or whatever. They're... they're I mean, they're the, the lunaticia of it all and the illiteracy. Um, all of these executive orders that he keeps signing off like he's fucking Pope Pius or whatever uh, are going to fall by the wayside because they're so poorly written in shit legalese. Um, if he had written a Muslim ban and gone to a hot shit fucking lawyer and got them to write an airtight clause that included the unconstitutionality of it and went around on it, they wouldn't be running through the courts like it is now. Um, and laying it on everybody the way he did. Uh, uh, but... but Chaos is his game, so that's why you mustn't ever get discouraged. Uh, because if chaos is his game, uh, we win the long game. Because the short game is all about chaos. Uh, but if you're that illiterate, and you can't remember what you say, and you have to send someone on TV every day, yesterday, during his intel briefing, uh, during 45's intel briefing, uh, which happened at 10.30, at 10.51, 20 minutes into the briefing, he tweeted about Ivanka and Nordstrom and how it was terrible that Nordstrom was uh, fucking Ivanka around. That, so imagine you're the leader of the free world and they're all sitting at the table and they're going through the Taze intelligence briefing, which includes the casualty count in Syria, what's going on with the Russian army in Syria, what's going on uh, uh, in all the seven countries that we are currently bombing, what's going on in the Yemen, which is very important considering the disastrous 
mission that we just blew uh, into the Yemen a week ago. Uh, what, what's going on uh, in America? Where does Mexico stand? Uh, how is Australia reacting after you told them to fuck off three days ago? Um, what, what's going on when the Japanese Prime Minister comes here, which he's coming in a week, and he's going to complain about China and them building islands everywhere? Um, what happens with all those things during the intelligence briefing? That's a really great time. You know, this whole Nordstrom thing with Ivanka, that's some pretty big shit. I mean, this is the kind of level we're talking about here. So, I'm not saying don't be afraid, and I'm not saying don't be attentive to what the situation is, but I'm saying um, look at them. It's a clown car full of billionaires. The Secretary of Education is a billionaire who's given billions and zillions and zillions of dollars to the Republican Party so she could have this post. Mitch McConnell, the albino cave salamander's wife, Elaine Chao, is in the cabinet. And that's why he's voted for everyone in the cabinet, and that's why he shut Elizabeth Warren down. He wanted Jeff Beauregard Sessions in. His wife's in the cabinet. Are you following this at all? I think you are. Um, that's why uh, the protests, which they keep saying, well, they're paid protesters. Do you realize how weak that is when paid donors are in the cabinet? To say that I'm being paid to go to the airport when the speaker of the Senate's, the, the, the majority leader of the Senate's wife is in Trump's cabinet, uh, that's a paid protester. Uh, and much better pay than I'm getting, and much better pay than uh, health and healthcare. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I just want to read about a couple of the women. Uh, Kristen Gillibrand emerges the only senator so far to vote no on all but of one Trump's picks. Um, Barbara Lee is the California congressman, first to announce she was boycotting Trump's inauguration. Nydia Velasquez, this, uh, one of the first ones to JFK on Saturday with the, when the ban happened a week ago. Uh, Women's March leaders Linda Sassour and Tamika Mallory. Uh, the New York City public advocate Tish James was amongst those receiving the biggest cheers at the Aniwal Anti-Ban Rally in Battery Park. Women's March leaders Linda Sassour and Tamika Mallory. And on Tuesday morning, California Representative Maxine Waters is having a press conference about this, some of this has already happened. As Dahlia Lithwick has pointed out, and you'll see Dahlia Lithwick sometimes on MSNBC, it was four women judges, Ann Donnelly, Leona Brink, uh, Brinkima, Allison Burroughs, and Judith Dane, along with Thomas Zilli, who ordered the temporary stays of Trump's ban. And of course, uh, since that time, uh, the judge in Washington. On, uh, Kamala Harris and uh, Washington's Patty Murray led a coalition of their fellow senators in opposition to Trump's Muslim ban. And on and on and on and on. Yates, Sally Yates, who was fired for being an acting attorney general. Yates' reputation is unlikely to be tied to any sense of weakness. Rather, she has, in the span of a few short hours, become the symbol of all righteous defiance of a leader whose team spent Monday defending the detention of five-year-olds at airports. Uh, Mark sent me this uh, on, in a letter, uh, and it's a, it was a, an article by Matthew Iglesias on Vox called The Big Lesson of Trump's First Two Weeks, Resistance Works. It's easy to miss amid Donald Trump's frenetic pace and activity, the most important story in American politics right now. It isn't about what Trump is doing, it's that the opposition is working. Um, it's crucial for Trump's opponents to be aware that protesters' efforts are not futile. We know they can succeed because they're already succeeding. He's retreated enormously in the face of pressure. A federal judge who temporarily this temporary crackdown. Uh, let's see here. The popular mobilization lacks the clear-cut victories of a judicial process, but also constitutes a more durable form of anti-Trump activism than counting on the judiciary. Nikki Renee covered it in an excellent tweet storm. The main victory so far in the first two weeks. Republicans abandoned a plan to gut the Congressional Ethics Office. The Trump administration abandoned a plan to cancel affordable care enrollment advertising. The VA was granted an exemption from Trump's hiring fees. This is all because people complain so loudly and longly. Um, 
Half a million green card holders were given back their green cards. Uh, the Department of Defense secured permission to grant exemptions for the ban of Iraqis who worked for the military, and on and on and on. It's a remarkable amount for a new president to walk back in the first 10 days in office. Resistance is costing Trump politically. A planned trip to Harley-Davidson in Wisconsin was canceled because the company didn't want to deal with the protests. And to bring Disney into it again, Bob Iger, Disney CEO, canceled a trip to the White House because he knew what a shitstorm it was going to cause. Uh, let's see here. Uh, we can't feel complacent. Dee -dee -dee -dee. I'm going to skate through all this here. Um, because I have to. Uh, this is from the Washington Post. Protest is the new brunch. <laughs> Political action can be habit-forming. Once you've already made a sign and taken it to a protest, it's easier to just to bring it along again in the future. Once you know which of your friends might be interested in going with you, it's easier to reconnect and do it again. This is the thing about going to the protest, you guys, that's so fun and awesome. You meet a million people, and they hand out flyers, and you can join groups and stuff like that. And um, you feel really good after, because there's chanting and singing and jumping around. And it gives you a release uh, from sitting at home and, const and being consumed by consternation, frustration, and outrage. Um, to get out and do something feels really good, and I suggest you do it. And um, you may have noticed that of the first 20 days of the administration, constant protests. Last weekend wasn't so much uh, uh, aimed directly at him, like the Women's March, the day after his inauguration, the biggest protest in American history, aimed at him. Uh, the next week, the anti-Muslim marches all over the country aimed at him. The next week, um, the Congress got it. Uh, you may have heard about several different Congress people being chased from town hall meetings by their own constituents who yelled, grow a spine at them and get a spine, um, because they want to know if the Affordable Care Act is going to be gutted. Um, believe me, they understand what's going on. Well, then how come the Senate's able to do whatever he wants and it seems like there's no rules? Because they have the fucking ball right now. And they have the, the, the senatorial ball and the, tech, the, the, the executive ball. They don't have the judicial ball all the way, although they're working toward that. Uh, a Washington poll released Wednesday says 25% of Americans say they plan on being more politically active this year. This includes 35% of self-identified Democrats, 40% of Democratic women, and 43% of Democrats under the age of 50. Uh, Trump fans are going to face the natural demobilization and disappointment that comes with actual governance. He will be less as an orthodox free marketer than some of the people who voted for him are hoping, and he will be less of a heterodox populist than some of the other people who voted for him are hoping. The Republican Party is in a position of enormous power, but also tremendous vulnerability. Its central economic policy objective, steep reductions in the taxation of high-income families, is unpopular. Trump's central policy idea that trade wars and deportations can make America safer and more prosperous is simply incorrect. Trump revels in the adulation of his core supporters and will continue to do so no matter what happens. Even an incumbent as thoroughly discredited as Herbert Hoover got 40% in his re-election bid. But a political strategy of lies and contradictions is a recipe for disappointment and failure. Uh, I think it is, too. And that's why I think um, uh, there's elections coming up in Los Angeles in March. I don't know when the next elections are in Orange County. But it would really behoove you to vote in every single election you can possibly vote in at every single lever. Is there one in March, too? Well, I didn't understand what you're saying. Next year? OK. Um, vet everyone who's running hard. Go online. Just spend an hour and do it. And make sure the initiatives, I take a real close look at the initiatives. We're fixing in LA in, in March to vote on an initiative that will add a quarter cent tax 
uh, to the sales tax that's going to um, uh, supposedly feed and ho clothe and house the 47,000 homeless people in Los Angeles. And that would be a remarkable and extraordinary thing to do. Uh, Lily Herman uh, is a writer and you should follow her. Um, and she, uh, she did a tweet storm the other day. Um, but the point of the tweet storm was um, publications that cover, here it is. Um, the con she writes about how women are murdering it in all the women's magazines. For instance, Elle, Mary Claire, and Teen Vogue are leading the political fight where you'll find stations like uh, uh, NBC hiring Greta Van Susteren or NBC uh, firing two black people to put on Megyn Kelly in the morning. Megyn Kelly who knew quite a lot about what uh, 45 was up to and didn't tell before the election because she wanted to protect her interests to make sure she got that big deal and all that. Um, and uh, 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 country, uh, countries, stations like CNN um, putting on paid uh, 45 shells all the time. And uh, yesterday I was watching uh, in the morning and um, before his uh, press conference about how uh, the media doesn't cover terrorist attacks, uh, which was a fairly unusual statement for someone who's done nothing but that. Uh, they showed an empty podium for half an hour and, and put the reporter in the corner. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. When he's not there, it's, there's nothing happening. They did it through the whole election. Did they learn nothing? This is why uh, this all happened. Um, stop covering the daily press briefing. It doesn't need to be covered. We can digest the daily press briefing in two illiterate sentences after it's over. And the other thing about the daily press briefing, because it's on TV, he watches it every day. 45 watches it. That's what he's doing. He's not working. He's watching TV. Kellyanne Conway, or as you know her, Patriot Barbie. <laughs> or as you know her, the woman who reminded us all to never, ever, ever remember the Bowling Green Massacre. Sweet Green. Yeah. Never, ever remember it. Uh, said that the only way to get through to him and to change his mind is to be on TV. And she's one of his chief advisors. So if she wants to get a message through to him, she goes on TV and says it, and then he watches it. Oh, yeah, I saw you on TV, that's a good idea. Lily Herman wrote about women's mags. If the content of women's publications in general, not just magazines, is a surprise to you, you've got some reflecting to do. And that's aimed at the guys out there. Uh, stop reading men, stop reading white men. Read other people. Read women. Read women of color. Uh, Vogue magazine contributor Michelle Ruiz is coming for Trump. She wrote an article called Five Things Donald Trump Attacked Hillary Clinton Over, but is currently doing himself. The ties to Wall Street, the use of private email, the conflict of interest, endangering service people overseas, and sickness and health. And these are things he wanted to lock her up for. Remember when he had said she had no stamina? Uh, the Australian Prime Minister phone call, it was 5 p.m., and he said his hot head, his aides explained his hot-headed call with the PM of Australia, or as they call him, the President of Australia, because he was fatigued. It was 5 p.m. Obama stayed up all night reading code books. Uh, Lily Herman wrote this. Tamron Hall's, uh, in essence, this is from... Um, Whitney Gaspard in Essence magazine. Essence is a women, a magazine aimed or in, uh, in black women, a, women, a magazine for black women, but of course you're allowed to read it too. Um, <laughs> talking about uh, Tamron Hall being dumped off the uh, Today Show. In the past two years, MSNBC has proved to be an unfriendly place for black female anchors. This time last year, we witnessed the ugly public split between the network and Melissa Harris Perry. 
Uh, after nearly four years as the face of weekend morning news, working diligently to invite diverse voices to the table, she parted ways with the network. Uh, after four years of building an audience, da da da. Um, Tamron Hall learned she'd lose her Today Show time slot moments before going live on the air. They dumped her and Al Roker and put in Megyn Kelly. So let me explain this to you. They took the two black people off the morning show on NBC, the one that has Matt Lauer off it, who evidently nothing can fire Matt Lauer. Not Ryan Lochte, not his conduct during the, the military debate. Nothing can get Matt Lauer fired. But Tamron Hall and Al Roker were knocked out of the Today Show, so Megyn Kelly could be brought in. The woman who would not interrogate 45 when she had the chance to, after he said she was bleeding from her whatever. And the woman who would not reveal when she worked at Fox News that Roger Ailes was sexually harassing her as well as Andrea Tanneros. And uh, uh, I've just blanked on her name. The other, the Miss America one. Gretchen Carlson, uh, and I wasn't trying to diminish her, but she was Miss America. Um, and uh, she knew all about it and didn't say a goddamn word because she's really protecting her position. She wants to move into that mainstream medium, you know? Because Fox is the weird outlying station where you turn on the TV and they're like, I don't know what the problem is with these protesters. <laughs> they're all from liberal elite cities. Here's a giant protest in Missouri. And you're like, liberal elite Missouri? Um, Joanne Reed replaced jo uh, Joy Harris, and you should watch Joanne uh, re replaced Harris Perry. You should watch Joanne Reed's uh, show. She's really terrific, and she has on lots of women and black people, and people of all different nationalities. With the exception of Robin Roberts on Good Morning America and Gail King on CBS this morning, there are no black female journalists holding down a daily news desk on a national television platform. Why does this matter? In a world where we have to watch Being Mary Jane in order to see a black woman anchor, a major primetime news desk representation matters. In a world where a head of state believes most, if not all black Americans live in war-torn, drug-infested ghettos where we dodge bullets to get home. Representation matters. In a world where the first African-American woman to co-anchor a nationally syndicated morning news program happened three years ago. Representation matters. Let's not allow history to represent Tam misrepresent Tamron Hall as the angry black female anchor who left the Today Show after a pretty and witty blonde came along. Let's set the record straight. After nearly 10 years of commitment to MSNBC, Tamron Hall, an exceptional and brilliant journalist, chose not to renew her multi-million dollar contract with NBC Universal after they tried to play her. Despite being told minutes before she was going on the air she would be bumped from her top-rated segment, she exhibited an unparalleled level of class and professionalism. She left without specific direction. Nonetheless, viewers from around the country applauded her in taking a leap of faith for her and her commitment to delivering news with a human sensibility. She made history as the first African-American woman to anchor a chair on the Today Show, and she did so with passion, humor, and style. And that representation matters to us, even if it doesn't matter to MBC. Lily Herman brings up uh, Tina Wynn's piece on the Trump girl from Vanity Fair. I'm not going to read all of it. It's quite long. Tina Wynn writes for Vanity Fair and reviewed Trump's grill in, in, his, in Satan's Tower, as Jennifer calls it, in New York. But I did want to read you this one paragraph because it's so fucking good. Um, he's, it's a steakhouse. Uh, here it is. Um, our waiter eventually noted that Don Jr. Oh, here it is. Renowned butcher Pat Lafrida once dared me to eat an eyeball that he himself had popped out of the skull of a roasted pig. That eyeball tasted better than the Trump Grill's gold label burger. 
a Pat Lafrida branded short rib burger blended molded into a sad little meat thing sitting in the center of a massive, rapidly staling brioche bun, hiding its shame under a slice of melted orange cheese. It came with overcooked woody batons called fries. How can someone mess up fries? <laughs> and ketchup masquerading as Heinz. If the cheeseburger is a quintessential part of America's identity, Trump's pledge to make America great again suddenly appeared not very promising. Presumably Trump's make America great, presumably Trump's great America tastes like an MSG flavored kitchen sponge lodged between two other sponges. And then one last sentence. The one thing required to save the meal, booze, turned into the greatest disappointment. You really need to read it. The meal's so shitty, the waiter comps them dessert. Uh, Lily Herman wrote about Lauren Duca for Teen Vogue. You've heard about Lauren Duca. She got trolled pretty hard. I'm not going to read her article here, but it, it's, you can read Lauren Duca in Teen Vogue, and she's been fantastic uh, about everything. Um, Okay, one thing I'll read from this article. There are things you can do and should be doing to turn your unrest into action. The first, let's empower ourselves with information. Insist on fact-checking every 45 statement you read, every headline you share, or even relay to a friend over coffee. Um, and one last uh, writer, and I'm trying to give you all these writers' names because these are all uh, fantastic. This is from Elle magazine, and it's about, um, oh, kittens here. Oh, phooey. Oh, Kim Fox. Uh, Kim Fox is the state's attorney office in Cook County, Illinois. She won 70% of the general election vote. She was raised in a poor family, and they lived in public housing, and she managed to win uh, that office. And this is the part I wanted to read you here, because I think it's, uh, it, it fills us all with hope to carry on. Um, less than 1% of elected prosecutors are women of color. So, just to go back a little bit. Um, you remember what happened um, with Trayvon Martin and Tamir Rice and uh, 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 Ferguson and New York and Baltimore and Los Angeles and all that. And I'll just read that sentence to you again. Less than 1% of elected prosecutors are women of color. Now, do you understand what white privilege is and what, why a white system being rigged might upset some people? Um, my chief of staff is an American woman. My director of policy is a woman. Our ethics officer is a woman. Everyone is around me at our table has a diverse and distinct voice. The men, too. I, uh, I want to be rose to chief of staff to see firsthand what an authentic leadership could look like and what it was like to be unapologetically an African-American woman. I will tell you that I was propositioned more than I ever thought I would ever be propositioned. That's what happens to women when they're on the way up the ladder. How about throwing me one? I started to think myself, if you were so disappointed by what you saw in the state's attorney office, why did you, what did you stop you from going back to do the work? This is the one I wanted to read. Um, I don't sing, I don't dance, I'm not an entertainer. To have a young girl want to be like me, it meant the world to me, because um, she was out. I'd be in the neighborhoods like the one I grew up in, and the little girls tell me they wanted to be lawyers too. I got choked up at one event on the west side in Cook County, right? That's Chicago. This girl said, is that Kim Fox? She'd seen my commercials on her TV, and she said she wanted to go to law school, and she had dark skin like I had dark skin, and she said to me, I know I can do it. Um, the office has to ask, how do we define justice? It's a big job. A lot of people here have mental health issues and drug, da 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 da. Um, anyway, uh, she's someone that you could follow. And then there's one last article uh, from Mary Claire, um, and it's about the Rockettes and what they uh, <clears throat> didn't want to do when they went to uh, the in didn't want to play at the inauguration, and they were basically forced to. And there's a whole lot of mansplaining in this article. If you like mansplaining, it's the mansplaining feel good article of the year.
And then Cosmopolitan, there's also an interview about Kelly Conway. Uh, Kelly Conway did not make a mistake when she mentioned the Bowling Green Massacre. She'd said it many times before. It's a story she goes back to again and again and again. And it's a complete, uh, as you know, like everything, a hoax. Uh, there's also, in any case, uh, I'll jump off of reading here for a second because I want to discuss this with you. We've already talked about Boston and uh, all that. And it is Black History Month. And um, you might think about that this month. You don't have to sit around and just uh, wallow in despair. You can organize and call people. And calling your senators and your congresspeople and your local people really, really works. I mean phoning them and also writing them and also protesting because 45 is a very TV reactive president. He reacts to TV quite a lot. And when he turns on the TV and sees protests all over the country and congressmen being chased from their town hall meetings, um, it gets through to him. That gets through to him. And believe me, it scares them. And that's why uh, they're kind of behaving the way they do. Um, what I was going to say about Black History Month is this. There's lots of things you can watch. Ava DuVernay's um, documentary, 13. Uh, Ava DuVernay's film about Martin Luther King. Um, Eyes on the Prize, which we discussed earlier on the podcast, is available on YouTube. And it's the story of the Black Power Movement and the Civil Rights Movement. And how how the Black Power Movement was shut down by the American government. I Am Not Your Negro is out in theaters now. Jennifer and I went and saw it yesterday about James Baldwin. And he talks quite a lot uh, about um, a, a great many things in a very eloquent and uh, sensitive and, and charming way. Um, he's an indispensable voice. Um, and uh, even though he's gone, like Frederick Douglass, um, I noticed that more and more he's getting popular. <laughs> uh -huh. Just know that you can do your part, and that you're needed, and that you're wanted. And when you get out there and march with other people, you'll feel it even more than you do now. Um, I want to leave on one last note. Uh, white people are a part of black history, uh, as much as black people are a part of white American history. And David Oxelrod was an avant uh, sort of composer type. And he ended up doing, uh, every black artist used his samples, um, from Lauryn Hill uh, to DJ Shadow uh, to Dr. Dre. And uh, this is one of his samples, and you'll recognize it. Um, David Oxelrod uh, is no longer with us. He in the heavens. He left a couple of days ago uh, because he had an appointment uh, with the giant orchestra in the sky to conduct something. If you wish to see him, uh, all you have to do is turn on any number of uh, hip-hop records and uh, you'll feel him uh, molding around you. Uh, anyways, uh, thank you very much for coming out. Uh, uh, you have been the smartest crowd in the world. I have been the smartest man in the world. Uh, spin that jam there now, won't you? May every page you turn be a satchel page. May every bell that rings for you be a cool Papa Bell. And if you have to buy bonds, make sure they're very bonds. Good night, everybody.